healthcare policy, medical professionalism? Is this a unique idea? You're listening to a special program on healthcare policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Aaron Carroll. Dr. Carroll is an associate professor of pediatrics and director of the Center for Health Policy and Professionalism Research at Indiana University School of Medicine in Indianapolis. Today we are discussing the Center for Health Policy and Professionalism Research at Indiana University School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Carroll. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. The press release I read said, Quick turnaround research on the hottest topics of the day related to health policy, medical professionalism, medical education, and physician practice is the goal of the Center for Health Policy and Professionalism Research, or CHPPR. That sounds like ReachMD. <laughs> a little bit, yes. How quickly can your center analyze a problem and offer a solution? Can you give us a concrete example or two? It depends on the type of problem and exactly what answer you're looking for. If it's a question of how does the public feel about something or, you know, in general, what is the general sense of how the public would accept something when you're looking at survey, we actually are building infrastructure and have it now to do quick turnaround phone and mail surveys. So we're talking around, you know, weeks, actually, if we need to. To do medical research in general takes much longer than that, to get it published and peer-reviewed. So what we're trying to do is try to create the infrastructure and the ability to give rapid turnaround answers for policymakers and even to other medical researchers in a much quicker fashion. Can you give us an example of a project that you've done recently in terms of, say, the survey format? Sure. Five years ago, we got interested in the idea of how do doctors really feel about national health insurance? Because you hear all the time when people talk about health reform that doctors would revolt, that there's no way that they would actually accept any type of big, huge reform. And we realized that, you know, that's an answerable question. And so we, we did a mail survey five years ago and found some interesting results that really there was some ambivalence, but not nearly the opposition you'd expect. And then since this was an election year, we decided, well, it'd be nice to check again. And so we conducted another survey of physicians to see would they support or oppose government legislation to establish national health insurance. And what we found actually, again, in general, we surveyed 5,000 physicians and had an excellent response rate and found that actually 59% of physicians say that they would support or greatly support government law to establish national health insurance, which is quite a surprise, I think, to a lot of people. And less than a third of doctors would actually oppose it. We published that in the early April issue of Annals Internal Medicine, and it got a fair amount of press at the time. And that's the kind of stuff we want to do, where it turns out that there's a lot of questions in policy where you can actually provide answers instead of debating one way or the other and arguing not based on fact, but based on I just believe it. So there are times in health policy when we can actually quantify an answer, and that's what we'd like to do. With the national health care, did you look at any reasons why doctors either favor or oppose national health care? We didn't ask them directly, but we asked them for a fair amount of demographic and practice and private characteristics to see if we can analyze and see which kind of doctors or which types of practices might favor it or oppose it more. By specialty, we found that those in greatest support were pediatricians, pediatric subspecialists, family practice docs are actually quite high up now, medical internists and psychiatrists as well, but even, you know, a majority of general surgeons. The groups that opposed it, the only specialties that don't have a majority in support were anesthesiologists, radiologists, and surgical subspecialists. We also looked at, you know, men versus women. It turns out female doctors are more likely to support it. Doctors practicing in an urban environment who see more uninsured patients are more likely to support it. But we didn't get into the details of why 
they would or would not support it. Because again, that would, to some extent, take a much more in-depth study that would take more time. And our goal was actually to try to get a snapshot of what was going on in a timely manner so that it could be out long before the election. Were you afraid that this might be used in too broad a sense? In other words, are you in favor of it? Sure, I'm in favor of it, because I believe you only asked two questions, as opposed to how much control would you like to see the government have? Are you worried that you know the press, the public might say, doctors support national health insurance overwhelmingly? Two-thirds did. Does that bother you a little bit? No, I've got to be honest, it doesn't, because when we publish the results, we only state the question and the answer. So we don't take this to say, like, hey, you know, Two-thirds of doctors say vote Democrat. That's not what they said. Two-thirds of doctors said that they support government legislation to establish national health insurance, and that's what we said. And we asked a second question, you're right, saying, would you support or oppose more incremental reform, such as what people keep proposing? And it turns out less doctors said that they supported incremental reform than national health insurance. And it's hard to look at those two questions and say, well, they actually more likely to support national health insurance than incremental reform and misconstrue that as a greater support for something that truly isn't there, especially since we asked the same question five years ago. And what we showed was that in every single specialty that we measured in 2003 and in 2008, support for national health insurance went up. And so while I would certainly hesitate to take this and go further with the data than the question actually asks and answers, I feel quite comfortable in saying, you know, 59% of doctors support legislation to establish national health insurance. Now that we know there's this much support, what gives you nightmares about national health insurance? Well, you know, as always, in any kind of big type reform, there's the potential for damage and danger. And, you know, it, it needs to be done right, and it needs to be done in such a way that costs are controlled and that we, to some extent, make sure that everybody gets the care that they need without sort of breaking the bank. The big concern is always money. But it's not as if our system right now isn't hemorrhaging money as we speak. Um, <laughs> and certainly we spend, you know, two or three times per person already what any other country really in the world spends on health care. And if you look at almost any metric of the quality of the health care system, we're doing quite poorly. So it's hard to imagine us doing worse. Where we could do worse, of course, is always we could spend more money. And with the economy <laughs> and the danger that it is right now, we certainly need to keep our eye on the ball with respect to cost. And so that would be the issue. Knowing how policy often gets passed, not on objective data, which is our goal, but on anecdote and sort of personal preference, there is the potential with a big sort of new government bureaucracy that it can get pushed to put a lot of money into areas where it does not need to go. We would absolutely need to keep our eye on that. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us on ReachMD XM 157 for their special program on healthcare policy. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Aaron Carroll, Director of the Center for Health Policy and Professionalism Research at Indiana University School of Medicine. Today we are discussing the Center for Health Policy and Professionalism Research. Cost, obviously, is a big number. Has your center done any policy work on cost containment? In other words, if you were going to make, say, a three-point or a five-point plan to the candidates, here's how we think you can provide health care at a reasonable cost. Have you done any work there, and what have you come up with? We haven't actually done any, like, actually what I would call research. Certainly, we've discussed the issue amongst ourselves, and we've had many debates and arguments, and we, we have definite thoughts on how it can proceed. Uh, and certainly, there's the model of what other countries have done. What's interesting about this is that pretty much every other 
industrialized nation in the world, has gone toward the national health insurance system. And we shouldn't ignore that. What we should do is look to them and see what succeeded and what has failed. And, you know, some countries have done a much better job with the national health insurance system and in containing costs than other countries. They've all done a better job of containing costs, I should say that, in that almost all of them have spend, you know, one-third to one-half as much as we do per person, which is remarkable. But why? Well, a lot of it comes down to some extent to administrative overhead in that their systems are much more efficient. Some of it comes down to the fact that they spend less on some technologies and pharmaceuticals because they can collectively bargain as large groups. Some of it comes down to the fact that physicians are very well paid in this country, higher as compared to all other people than in other countries. And some of it because they spend money more effectively, be it on preventive care or on things that might actually prevent illness as opposed to having to pay much more money on the back end. And when you add all that up together, it actually winds up being significantly less money. The other thing that we shouldn't ignore, and I don't like to demonize the private health insurance industry, is that there's no profit in a national health insurance system. And so, you know, all the money that sort of goes into the system to some extent either goes into a tiny bit of administrative overhead or into actual care. None of it gets diverted off into profit or to dividends or to anything else, which also saves quite a bit of money. And so most of those countries sort of operate in a bigger, more efficient scheme. To look at it in this country, how it might happen is that, you know, your average nonprofit private insurance company in this country operates somewhere about, let's say, 15% overhead, while the investor-owned blues are up in the order of 20 to 25% overhead. Medicare operates at just over about 3% meaning that 97 cents out of every dollar put into Medicare goes into actual patient care. And yet, in general, people feel that Medicare is terribly inefficient. Well, actually, it's, if you think of efficiency as, well, how much money is sort of wasted on non-medical stuff, Medicare is by far the most efficient healthcare system in this country. Well, I've always felt that healthcare has no business trading on the New York Stock Exchange. I would agree with you there, and I think a lot of doctors would agree with you. Of course, many will disagree as well, and it's certainly something that we should talk about, but I think the important thing is that we actually do talk about it and have an open public debate and actually discuss how much or how little of the money should go into different things. That's a lot of how they do cost containment in other countries. It's very public. Mm -hmm. It's very mm -hmm. open. You know where the money's going. You know where it's being wasted because it's the government. They have to tell you. A private insurance company is a black book. It's a black box, I mean. You know, you can't see within it to know where the money's going or how. And without sort of the pressure of knowing where the things are going, it's impossible really to make change. One of my favorite articles I've ever read is your article on medical myths. And let me throw this one at you. We talk about preventive care as a cost saving. Yes. I had an opportunity to interview Dr. Jeffrey Joyce from the mm -hmm. RAND Corporation. Yes. And they published a study showing that if we are effective in preventive health care, mm -hmm. people will live longer because they're healthier, and it'll cost us the same amount of money. We really won't save anything. I think, actually, I would almost err on the side of saying we're going to spend worse. Preventive care is not... See, this is an interesting argument. I'm glad you brought this up. Preventive care, to some extent, is not as much about cost containment as it is about you know, doing good, about mm -hmm. improving outcomes. Because let's be quite honest here. The quickest way to reduce costs in the United States is if every smoker died tomorrow because then we would never have to pay for their bills anymore. No, actually, the scariest thing is what I heard proposed recently by one of the insurance companies, and that is, we cut off care in the last six months of your life. Sure. The only problem is, when's the last six months? Exactly. But that's scary. It is very scary. But in the United States, to some extent, we've made, I think, a collective agreement that cost is not our main concern, because we spend yeah, right. money like crazy. Yeah, we just so print more. 
if cost is not our main concern, by all means, why don't we, you know, make access awesome? Why don't we actually improve the outcomes? We've already sort of agreed the cost, we're just going to let it go. I agree in that I don't think that preventive health is the way that you actually decrease costs over the long term. I do think, however, that preventive health care is the way that we actually improve outcomes, that we improve life expectancy, and there might be reduced secondary costs as we become a more profitable society and people in general can function better. But they're absolutely correct. Making people live longer is likely in the long run going to cost us more money in general. I still say that that's a good and that it's worth the money. I'd like to thank Dr. Aaron Carroll, who's been my guest for this special program on healthcare policy on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and we've been discussing the Center for Health Policy and Professionalism Research at Indiana University School of Medicine. I invite you to listen to our on-demand program library by visiting us at ReachMD.com. If you have questions or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM157. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.